This episode of Mode Push, we jump in to the historical side of F1. As we're waiting on another race here at the end of this month, we're going to bring you a little bit of a breakdown. Dan will always bring you a technical aspect of engineering that you will absolutely learn something about the physics of these F1 cars. And then I'm going to break down a a, a little bit of history of the Mercedes-AMG race team. Maybe something from their history that you didn't know. It's Mode Push. Radio check. Loud and clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Mode Push, an American view of F1, starting now. Don't stop. He's what you get with his Honestly. I've guessed it. I've absolutely guessed it. I enjoy this so much. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome in, everybody. It's another edition of Mode Push, an American view of F1, the podcast sweeping the rookie F1 fan nations across the land. <laughs> Alex Curie, one of your hosts, Dan Jimenez, the other host of the program. Dan, what's up, man? Oh, uh, not much. Just excited for, uh, I guess, a little bit of a break, but... Uh... I guess it allows me a little bit of time to focus on the other sports in my life. Oh, I guess that's that's the glass half full. I get college football and NFL can fill the void in my life of the next few weeks of Here's the deal. F1. It's a lose-lose for me anyway cuz is my for my job I cover sports. My wife was not super happy when I added another sport that I was going to get <laughs> semi obsessed with. That lasts from March to November. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. So it's like any time that there was like a little bit of a break, F1 kind of took over. And uh, it's interesting because he's already kind of used to the weekend of, and I have a weird viewing habit with it because I have so many, you know, Saturdays I'm I'm either at college football games covering mm-hmm. them or I'm here in studio doing pre and post game shows and stuff like that. And so I actually, it's it's kind of a treat where I get home and go, turn on F, let's get that F1 app fired up <laughs> and let's start watching, you know, some of these, you know, the, the qualifying and stuff like that. And then Sunday morning's funny because, that's like the only time that there isn't an NFL game, yeah. college football, whatever. And so any waking moment, my wife's like, hmm, this again, huh? <laughs> so, uh, but my kids have kind of gotten into it too. Oh, so cool. they know who the, like, they know who the teams are. They know who the racers are. And I remember at one point this year, my, my, my 12 year old walked in the room and goes, so what, Lewis Hamilton's not winning now? Like, like what's yeah, the, the kids catch on quick. He's, he's used to seeing ham. Yeah. Ham bot, you know, either in one two or some version of uh, in the in the in the top three. He's like, so he's what he stinks now, and I was like, no, but his car does, <laughs> like, yeah. or, or at least to an extent. So here's what we're doing. Dan and I decided that uh, we're we're going to continue to make some of these uh, episodes during these during the next uh, couple of weeks of break here before he heads off to Singapore. It's confirmed. You've got your tickets to Singapore. Tickets in hand, flight in hand. It's time to go. <laughs> so now, do you go and like? Walk up with like an electronic ticket, and then they get, hand you the, like the weekend badge when you get there. Or is that did that all you get emailed the digital version of something? You just hold your phone up. Uh, either or, you could. Um, I printed it off just in case, but you could also just you know barcode. Uh, they'll scan your phone too, and uh, that's a it's an individual ticket for each day. It's a Friday ticket, a Saturday ticket, and a Sunday ticket that they sent. Even though I bought it all in one package, so. Uh, that's uh, that's all I know at this point. Maybe they'll give me a badge or something like that to simplify it once we get there. But I'm just taking those papers and I still am blown away by the idea that your rookie race to like attend 
It's like as insane of a trip as you can take to get over there. But I guess rolling all of the work trip and stuff, everything all into one, then then you just, hey, it works. I was going to be on the other side of the world yeah. anyway. Yeah, no, it'll make it easier for the next time. We'll be like, well, honey, at least for the next race, I mean, Monaco is a lot closer <laughs> than Singapore. Oh, and... European flights are so much cheaper. Oh, it's yeah. fine. So, it you know, fine. start big. I, it, in terms of, like, the ones that you want to get to before you die, the yeah. bucket list races, I, I think Barcelona is one of those for me. I love the idea of going to Spain and watching a yeah. race, taking in a race. Uh, I want to see one here in America. I'd love to see the Las Vegas one, even though That'd we've never cool. seen the iteration of it. Yeah. I mean, since the what they, they drove around in the parking lot of the Caesars Palace, <laughs> like in the 70s or whatever. Uh, Miami doesn't interest me as much. I think no. just because of how it'd be super hot. I mean, not like Vegas would be, you know, super cool or something. But I I, I don't I don't want to – I think there are other places to go other than Miami. I've been to Miami a handful of times. It's fine. But I don't yeah. want to see a race there. Um, other than that, like the European races – Maybe Silverstone, right? Just because of the history there. Yeah, I think that one. And there's so many fans. It's something like a hundred and hundred thousand plus fans that they fit in there. Right. They had like four hundred thousand, four fifty or whatever the, over the race weekend for the whole weekend, yeah. which is it's like going to a game at Michigan, right? It's just like yeah, it's just total number of people. Which I've been to. I've been to the big house, and that is like kind of underwhelming. Huh. Like it's so big, it's a little bit sterile. Like it, it was, it's like too too spread out, too spread out, right? But then yeah. you've also had the I've also seen games in in stadiums where they're just packed on top of it, and there are certain stadiums that just absolutely do well with a massive amount of people. Uh, I'm trying to think of other ones that like would just totally. I know that uh, Suzuka. Everybody always talks about as being really amazing to go see. Yeah, so the ones that came to mind were Suzuka, Monaco, um, Silverstone. I think is a good one too. Uh, Brazil, maybe I think Brazil is always an exciting race, especially if it rains. But I don't know if you want to be a fan in the rain. But uh, yeah, is Interlagos is that what Interlagos? The, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I I I think just I think going and taking in a European race would be really cool. Spa would be historic and really fun to. Yeah. If they got back to the Nurburgring, I'd run it. Didn't they do that during COVID? Did they, they go back on like a shorter version of the Nurburgring? They did. Yeah, that was the weekend that was like Mercedes big like fifty something anniversary. I can't right. remember, and they. Uh, they had a terrible weekend. Yes, it was awful. It was yeah. like they had all their outfits on. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they had yeah. all the like the crew. Was, Toto's wearing luck. Toto's wearing those uh, <laughs> suspenders, suspenders in that hat. Yeah, and he's like throwing his headset. And was going. I don't think it worked out well for you guys in the rain here. <laughs> it was a great. They race. just. It was awesome because it just. It, it was awesome because it just spun out. They just kept spinning out of control. This is why I love and trying to guess on. First of all, I don't know how these guys get on the track. And and go, no, I'm feeling pretty good with just 100% slicks on this. We're almost dry. Give me some slicks right now. That's crazy. And part of the track, two and a half miles away, is drenched. And then mm-hmm. over here on this side is dry. And they still push the limits because they, they, you know, they're trying to race. And that difference of if somebody makes that decision and it's the right decision – they're lapping 12 seconds faster than the uh, folks who are on yeah. you know, the wild. full wets or the intermediates or whatever. So uh, here's what we're going to do, though. Dan and I decided that we're going to kind of jump in a little bit of like F101, uh, kind of a, a, a dive, mostly for our, for myself at least. Like where I, The history of some of the teams, I think what we'll do is we'll have every week we'll kind of highlight um, a technical side that Dan has sort of uh, jumped into as the engineering background that you have and nerd out a little bit on some of the things, some of the aspects, some of the pieces of a car, and and then we'll jump into some of the history parts of it. So every week, a technical aspect and a historical piece of F1 to kind of give you some background as to where these teams come from or 
you know, certain racers. I think it'd be good to dive into some of the biggest names in F1 at some point too, because those have been, as I've jumped into F1, the teams are one thing, the racers are one thing. Then it's like the historical knowledge, the background of, you know, why is, uh, uh, you know why? Why? Why is Damon Hill an important uh, piece of? Remind me who uh, who uh, who Mansell was again. Uh, what was the best team that uh, Senna had raced with during his time before he passed away? Uh, you know Schumacher. Like when did like how historically good is he compared to the other people? All those things. I think it'd be good to dive into some of the histories of those things and some of the histories of the teams as well. Let's start off with the technical side of things, though, Dan, and I'll. I'll turn the time over to you to, and I'm just going to straight up bust my notebook out here in a yeah, way. Sharpen your pencil. Yes, and I want to get. I, I kind of want to get educated on. And we have so many tech, technical regulations that have changed, obviously, with the new 2022 car. Uh, and and going forward, we're going to have a lot of things that change. And every year, there's technical directives that happen that are different. And so, uh, what part of the car are you going to going to focus on this week? And what makes it different, maybe historically, as we've seen the uh, iterations of the cars over the years? Yeah. So. I was really wanting to dive into what is making Red Bull so quick this year. It's just a question everybody's asking, right? And how is their how has their approach to this 2022 car differed from everybody else? And my uh, study led me down a rabbit hole about side pods, not Tide pods, side pods. <laughs> Don't eat either of them. That's right. And the side pod, what is the side pod? The side pod's like the hips of the car. It's that section between the the front and rear wheels, and it's uh you know, critical part of the car because it houses the cooling. So all the radiators get stuffed into the side pods and the ra- there's just like a million radiators on these cars. So they got to cool everything from the engine to the hybrid engine, the intercoolers for the turbos. There's just like so much that's packaged into the side pod that's catching the airflow to cool the engine. And the big trade-off with uh, cooling on any race car is uh, horsepower uh, versus drag. And the more cooling that you have, the better you're going to regulate your engine's temperature and the better, more horsepower you're going to make. But uh, the more cooling you have, you'll also increase the drag on the car. So that's the trade-off that, every, that the teams are making when they are designing their cooling systems. And so the big change for 2022 is that the side pods, um, well, the two changes. Number one is uh, F1 got rid of the barge boards. So if you're thinking uh, about the car, you got the front wing, you got the tires, and then right behind the tires, you used to have these barge boards, which were these really um, complicated pieces of carbon fiber that you know seemed to change every single week, and they were all about directing the flow in all these complicated ways, and they were really expensive uh, to to research and develop. And um, it's part of kind of simplification of the car and trying to clean up the air to make for better racing. They said, okay, no more barge boards. But what we're going to do is we're going to allow the side pods to come forward now. And so what we saw at the beginning of this year when they released all – like everybody debuted their new cars. Yeah. Everyone was really interested to see we'd what only, do these cars look like. We'd only seen prototype stuff, and we're all guessing on – but what's wild to me is that these teams have the same regulations, but their cars won't look the same Yeah, based off of that. That was exciting, but it was also – Pretty wild to think that everybody could come up and go, oh, that's what you guys came up with in your shop, which is pretty, it's pretty, it's unique to F1. Yeah, it was a big surprise. I think F1 it was probably expecting everyone to come out with a very similar design and everyone was just across the board, which has made it exciting. And so the, the what's happened now is the side pod is no longer, 
just important for cooling and also for like crash safety. They've got like different structures inside of the side pod if it like that takes a side impact. Right. But it's also like a huge aerodynamic piece of the car now uh, because it is now what is controlling the air between the front and rear axles and diverting the air either underneath the car or to the back, the diffuser, which is like the kind of uh, underneath the rear wing coming out the back of the car where like the exhaust would be on a normal street car. Sure. Um, so it's directing air to the diffuser or to the rear wing or underneath the car or trying to get it away from the rear wheels, which are spinning really fast and you don't want air going over those. So the different approaches are trying to balance like three main variables. One is total downforce. Uh, how much total downforce is the car making? More downforce equals better cornering speed. Uh, what is the balance of that downforce front to back? That's another big piece. Is are you creating more front downforce or more rear downforce, or is it a 50-50 split? Because that really affects how the car feels and drives to the driver. And are, the, are both of the cars going to have the same aero setup too? Is that one of the things that they have to have the same kind of aero setup? Because I know that Max prefers a different driving style than Checo does, for example. Yeah. But I feel like they set the car up for Max, right? I mean, I, I would mm-hmm. imagine that they would say, you know, kind of figure this out. And I, I don't know. I don't I don't remember which one he prefers, if it was understeer or oversteer. Uh, but Max likes things a certain way. And then you have teams talking about, like, I haven't been able to, like, really hook up the car yet. I haven't yeah. found a group. Daniel Ricardo is one of those guys. So this is maybe one of those elements here. Like, I can't. It, it acts different in the front and the back and different speeds, higher and lower speeds. Right. And so, uh, and as we're looking at some of the pictures here, I remember too the th- those air rakes that they'd put on all of them in the. I, although I haven't seen it as yeah. much in like the qualifying and stuff, and in, in, in or not qualifying, but like there were the, some on the Aston Martin in at Monza in first in FP one. I remember when I first started watching F one, I'm like, "What are we looking at here?" And yeah. they're like, "Oh, yeah, it's just testing. It's just arrow. Yeah. It's just an air rake. It's testing." The, and then they got that green dye on they it. And the, I'm going, yeah, the spray just the to viz. see just to see yeah. what where the air's going on that on it. Yeah, and, it's super and, cool. And how it would act, you know, race to race, track to track. Uh, straight line speed versus around the corners and and the slow corners versus the medium speed corners, all those things that I'm still trying to figure out. And so I, I guess I didn't think much about how much bigger those side, par- side pods look now on these cars. Versus the last ones. What they used to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah they used wild. to start like behind, almost behind the driver. Uh, and now they're they run up to almost up to the front tire. And when you look at the, like fo- I focused on the difference between Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes. And what it uh, looks like is being done is that Red Bull has gone for a balance of optimizing uh, an equal front and rear downforce balance while minimizing drag. Uh, Ferrari has gone for low drag as much as you know as possible, and uh, Mercedes has gone for high downforce, high drag. So I'm looking at the I'm looking at the Mercedes side pod right now on Lewis Hamilton's. Um... Yeah, those were the craziest ones when they came out. So they come out and they basically have no, they have like compared to everybody else, nothing really bulging out. Yeah, that. Uh, and so I think that that was everybody saw that at the beginning and went, oh, maybe that could be amazing or terrible. It turns out, uh, well, how much is this? How much does this contribute to the porpoising problem that they've had? Yeah, that's a good question. So yeah, like when it came out, I was my mind was blown. I was like, where are the side pods? Where's the cooling? Like, how are they doing this? And I thought, oh my gosh, Mercedes has done it again. The geniuses have figured out how to package all this stuff 
with minimal cooling, uh, minimal intake, and then like just really slimming the side of the body. No you know? drag, yeah. Yeah, so I was like, oh man, these things are going to be super fast in a straight line. It shows how much I know. But like it turns out that actually is really, it's creating a lot of drag. Um, and so what Mercedes is having to do is is they have a harder time running their car low. And the, and the ride handle is uh, less balanced than than uh, Red Bulls. So what's happened is you're getting that porpoising when they get really low. So that th- I think that definitely is contributing to it. Um, and it was interesting because you saw well, I can't remember which race it was, but a third of the way through the season, Aston Martin showed up with new side pods, and everyone's like, uh, "We recognize those. They were basically direct copies of Red Bull side pods." <laughs> and like Christian Horner, court, like of course, like goes and like knocks on the FIA's door, and it's like they're copying us, but. Aston Martin hasn't really quite figured it out to the level Red Bull has, but it was interesting to see how fast uh, Aston Martin at least pivoted to what Red Bull's design was after they saw it. Can you change stuff like week to week? Uh, th- yeah. Th- that kind of stuff? Can you just be like, we're showing up with totally different side pods this week Techni- and just show the FIA, like, yeah. here's our stuff we've been working on and, and we're just going to try something I think new? Technically, you can, but I think uh, resource wise, it's very expensive. Because when you're talking redesigning the side pods, you're also talking about how the uh, cooling is all packaged. Mm. And that that is like a, okay, we're going to have to fix that for next year type of thing. This is going to take months for us to really figure out and manufacture and test. And, you know, next year we're going to come with a different approach for cooling and side pods than what we have this year. And cost caps have affected that too because yeah. you've seen a lot fewer changes between races that, that teams like Mercedes usually just be like change on a dime – but the cost caps have made it to where you basically have to schedule those things out in advance, a little bit further out, so that you're being smart about what you're spending. Yeah, yeah. So I think that um, this is probably the one of the biggest effects uh, on the results this year has been Red Bull's ability. Like their design has the best balance of creating downforce and minimizing drag. There's some extreme examples if you look at Alfa Romeo. Theirs uh, has like this undercut that runs the entire length of the side pod that nobody else has. And one thing I learned was that Alfa Romeo, in order to achieve that, like it's almost like there's just this tunnel that runs underneath front to back. Uh, and to achieve that, they have actually had to mount their radiators like 90 degrees off, like they're horizontal instead of vertical. Huh. And uh, that uh, is only possible because one of the other regulation changes is that now the side pods can have louvers, which are those like um, kind of fan-looking exhaust uh, openings above uh, the side pods? You can kind of see it at the uh, the Ferraris are the ones that I always think of in that big bathtub uh, section of the side pod. You see right. these big louvers, and that's to help the hot air that passes through the radiator to escape. Um, and so the louvers are new to this year, and that allows for them to do a lot more different stuff with the side pods that they haven't been able to do before. So going forward, looking into next year, have they? Does everybody when they have this? And I know that they have a certain amount of time they can use in the wind tunnels too, right? Like, mm-hmm. like it's limited. Yeah. yeah. And if your team stinks, you get more time in the yeah. <laughs> in the in the wind tunnel. Like, yeah. give you, it's like it's like the equivalent Throw of giving somebody like a, a first round draft pick or something. Yeah. You get more. <laughs> we're gonna give you some more time to work on your test. So, uh, have we decide? Is it decidedly so? Like. Red Bull's way of doing it is basically the future of what side pods are going to look like with this iteration of the car of these car models. I would expect everyone to converge on that um, with, you know, some minor influence from regulation changes that may come down the road, you know, that could in, 
uh, around other parts of the car that could influence how you want that shaped. But yeah, like you said, you know, everyone has a, a predetermined amount of time in the wind tunnel. And the wind tunnel, you know, it's a it's a pretty good approximation. They've got these rolling road wind tunnels, so it's not like the car's just like sitting there stationary, but right. it's a it's like a big massive Treadmill, rolling road. Yeah. And there's only one, I think, in the United States that uh, used to be like ten minutes from my house when I lived in North Carolina. But uh, they've got a bunch of them over there in in, um, in Europe. But those big rolling roads, uh, what that does is it allows you to spin the wheels and then also have the airflow going underneath the car that simulates the ground effect. So that's, you know, so that's wind tunnel time, super valuable. And then um, when you don't have a wind tunnel, you're doing what's called CFD, which is computational fluid dynamics. That's your big word for the day, CFD. And so (laughs) this is like computational fluid fluid dynamics. dynamics. So this is like, uh, if you've ever seen an image of a car that has like uh, a bunch of colors all around it, like a whole spectrum of colors, that's CFD. So basically they're, you know, they have the 3D model of the surface of the car they're saying, okay, it's going through an air of this density and it's running at this speed. What are the pressures going to do? And you've got these like massive, um, you know, supercomputers that are crunching numbers. And it takes like, I remember it used to take like a day to run a CFD model. You're like, okay, I'm going to hit enter and I'm going to go home. <laughs> and when I get back to work, process I'm going yeah. to hope that this didn't crash overnight. You know, it's it, it used to be pretty uh, crude, but, you know, computers have gotten better. So the computational fluid dynamics I'm looking at here, like there's an F1 dictionary Okay, let me read it. It says, since the introduction of the supercomputers in the 1980s, the use of computational fluid dynamics for solving fluid flow problems has increased dramatically as numerical tools in many areas of engineering. The pictures the pictures overview below from the CFD projects through the years have focused on uh, space transportation systems, aeronautics, sports aerodynamics, etc. But I'm looking at this, and, and, and of course this is uh, riveting podcast talk here, but we're oh, yeah. looking at it. They have a ski jumper. Right, <laughs> so yeah, this guy right here, who's full front of of his uh, drag, just full red represented on the front of that yeah, thing, right? Yeah. But it's That's also cool great. because they also have a uh, they have waves, yeah, and the and uh, train aerodynamics. Uh, <laughs> this one's even a bus stop shelter, uh, showing like where the wind uh, travels. So for people who are the options the, are limitless. The, <laughs> but then they have race cars versus all the you know all these other things you're looking at, and so. Uh, it's interesting to me, too, that when they do these after the last race, the simulations they're able to run, and they're able to run them during the race now, too. Mm-hmm. There was like a back and forth between Christian Horner and not Toto Wolf, but maybe one of the guys at, at Mercedes who was running uh, kind of their their strategy. And, mm-hmm. and, and they had come up and said, hey, if, uh, if we wouldn't have pitted George, we probably would have been a second and a half ahead based off of what they had kind of run on their simulations. Mm. He's like, run the simulations again, because ours said we would be fit, we'd win the race by 15 <laughs> seconds. And I they're just trash-talking off of these sims and all this stuff. And I My thought, computer says. Well, exactly. <laughs> but it's also crazy that they can, mid-race, just go run that simulation right now, and it's not real time. It's like, run it, and it's done. And you can say, if we run on this strategy, we'll win this thing. It almost yeah. seems like cheating. Yeah, what those guys are doing, like those, uh, when they say simulation for the strategy stuff, they're looking at lap times over time based on the tire that they're on. They're probably, you know, they're pulling in data around what they're actually seeing on the racetrack from themselves and other cars on whatever tire they're on. Right. And they're just okay. The hard's going to look like this. The soft's going to look like the medium's going to look like this. We're this far apart. And so, you know, run that through with some sort of, you know, f- fancy, uh, you know, uh, statistics. And then spit back out what the probability is around where we're going to be 
at the end of the race. And so there's, you know, some flexibility in there. And those guys are really just trying to decide is there, is it worth pitting or not and putting on what tires. I didn't choose this first team that we're going to dive in on in a history of Formula One with this team based off of anything else except for I think it's the team that right now, if people are just getting into F1 over the last maybe five or six years, you think mostly of Mercedes, I think, at the top of uh, yeah. uh, top of mind. People think of Mercedes. Overall, I think you think of Ferrari as being like, you know, the – the gold standard over the years of, of, of being around for F1. Although Mercedes and, and, and all these teams have a history that goes very, very far back, including before Formula One even started, which was mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the 1950s. Right? 1950 was when we actually had the, uh, I think the first, uh, is it 50? Somewhere in there. Somewhere in yeah. there. Either way, Mercedes, Mercedes-Benz, this is one of these works teams, right? This is a factory team. Mm-hmm. And they've been on and off in various times throughout the history of Formula One. They got in as a team owner and an engine manufacturer at some point between 1954 and the present time. So they get in in 1954, and the reality is is that that was when F1 was pretty brand new. But they had been Grand Prix racing in Europe uh, across – across all of Europe, and, and they even had these worldwide races that started to pop up across in the U.S. as well. So when you think about how old some of these races are, uh, I mean, the United States was at the forefront of car development because they mm-hmm. were, you know, this is the, the, the birthplace of the vehicle in, in, in many people's minds, and certainly racing was one of those things that was, uh, everybody got into it immediately. As soon as you make, a, as soon as you can invent something like a motorized vehicle, our number one question is how fast can we make it? How fast can this thing go? Yeah. And it's tremendous to think about how how quick things were even back then. But Mercedes uh, was part of this Grand Prix motor racing in the 1930s. So think of uh, think of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, right? I mean, you yeah. think of like those early <laughs> between like the 20s and the 30s and 40s, these big, big cars with these big yeah. giant V8s and V12s that they were just like, we just know that if you have a giant engine with all these cylinders and a More ton of displacement, yeah. you're just going to ha- – and they were heavy and they were dangerous and they were crazy. And uh, that's where they got they got in on it. Now, Daimler uh, – and, of course, there's, there's also both of these teams, Mercedes-Benz uh, and their, and their uh, auto union, which was also kind mm. of a rival in Germany – they started in the 1930s. They were heavily funded by the Nazi regime. So, th- so mm-hmm. there's a history, obviously, of people being like, because it was like so many other things that were back in the day, whether it was running or whether it was actually racing cars, the Nazi regime was like, we're going to show people about German engineering, right? Yeah. And so uh, Mercedes got gets into Formula One, their very first Formula One entries in 1954 in the French Grand Prix. Mm. And over time, I think that if you're new to this, you don't necessarily think, I think a lot of people, and, and, and when you talk historically, you think of uh, uh, Fangio, right? This is like one of the first championship winners, somebody who raced for uh, for Mercedes at the very, very beginning of its of its go into Formula One, 1954-55. These are the drivers' championships, okay? Mm-hmm. So Mercedes has nine drivers' championships, Fangio in 54 and 55, and then seven Lewis Hamilton drivers' championships. Wow. So from a there's nothing in between from a wow. historic standpoint because they were out as like yeah. as as, uh, as manufacturers for a long time from the sport they started out early then I think a lot of these teams and you now you're seeing even Audi got involved right and Porsche Audi uh, mm-hmm. Volkswagen they're all kind of part of the same family but they create this race development team uh, 
and they go, I want to get involved in this thing. I want to get in, in, involved in these races. But from a historical standpoint, Mercedes has these eight constructors championships that their very first one that, w- that they won was 2014. And so as a works team, they don't have this crazy history like Ferrari does, which is mm-hmm. just like over the past 75 years. Yeah. Uh, right. Of, of F1, they had just been winning forever. It's a pretty new thing for them. Now, uh, Daimler, Mercedes, AMG, they've been making cars as well as or maybe better than anybody on the planet mm-hmm. in that during that time. And developing race cars was something that they did a long time. But F1 is a totally different beast, right? I think one thing that I read was, was just like it was so expensive. And I thought Mercedes said it was so expensive. <laughs> it was like, no, we, we don't want to have this whole thing, you know, to, to figure this thing out to try to get back in. But when they got back in, they've dominated since 2014. And uh, so when you look at it from a standpoint of like the last 15 years or, or uh, the last since 2014, when they got back in, they basically won ninety percent of all of the prizes in 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 Formula One, either the constructors or the or the, uh, or the drivers' championships. So, from a historic standpoint, I think everybody thinks about a team like Mercedes and goes, "Well, they've been doing this forever." But it's this. It's interesting because they're the changeover uh, from you know basically uh, every one of these teams. Like you think about Williams had taken over for so long. Mm-hmm. And now if you've just gotten into F1, you go, Williams, they're terrible, right? right? Yeah. And and it's just like every franchise in any other sport that we look at and we watch and we see, you go, oh, like when I was growing up, my Seattle Seahawks were garbage, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were just bad. <laughs> and uh, Or college teams. Certain college teams are like, I would have never taken those guys seriously. And then they just get into a new generation or they get into a, they get into a coach that changes the entire, uh, you know, uh, success of this of this team. And so – from that time that that Total Wolf really joined this really joined this team, they had started to get into a lot of of, uh, of success, but he took them to the to that next yeah. level. So he's kind of that, you know. I think he he sort of had this this uh, you know comparable to a, an exceptional head coach in some of these sports that transcends. I mean, the team obviously is good. They've had the best car in a lot of cases. But they've also had the best drivers, and they've had the best bosses. And mm-hmm. so I think that's what's made uh, Ferrari's success, at least in, in, in the more recent years, uh, something that's been – because it was between between 2010. I mean, 2010 is when they got back in mm-hmm. because they were only in from uh, 1954 and 1955, and then they got out. And so it was this Daimler-Benz, uh, and then it became Mercedes-AMG Petronas in 2010 till right now. And yeah. so you're talking only – you know, 12, 13 years. I mean, this is the W13, right? This is the uh, the, the the iteration of the car yeah. this year is the is the W13, which means it's just thirteenth car of this modern era that they've that they've had. And so, a relatively and you think too as a car as a as a constructor, they have one hundred and twenty four race victories. Well, think about how many of those are, are Lewis Hamilton's, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or Valtteri Bottas, but I mean like Lewis Hamilton mostly. Yeah, this is a team that has been dominant from. Basically, 2014 and on. I mean, they kind of figured it out in those first, those first handful of years. But for it being a historic company, Mercedes being, I think, one of those that people could picture an old Mercedes, that, mm-hmm. that Silver Arrows badge on the front of a Mercedes, uh, whether it be like, you know, on the motorcade of some Nazi, you know, on, on, like, a, <laughs> on like Hitler's car, or it's, uh, you know, on, I think about when I first got married, my father-in-law had this uh, insanely cool uh, S500 
Yeah. The V12, mm, red, big boy, yeah. And it was and it, and it was uh, convertible. You know, it was like it was like the the pinnacle of like 19 mid 1980s, you know, like yeah. luxury. And uh and it was a beast and it was not fast at all anymore. I don't know if it ever was, but uh you think of Mercedes and being what they are and they their race team consists of more than 1600 people in the factory. It's a massive team. And there's a massive amount of money behind. And the thing that I think that has cut them off a little bit this year has been the cost cap in the other direction. They're not able to spend as much money as they want. The smaller teams love that there's a cost cap because it, keep, it, yeah. it keeps them competitive. A team like Mercedes has all the engineering prowess, has all the has all the resources that they have, and uh, they've been limited a little bit. And they were caught out a little on the, on the design of their car, I think, this year. But interesting background. Yeah. Uh, of Mercedes over the time because I think when I dove in I thought I would see because I knew that at one point they were out of racing mm-hmm. but um, they were they've 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 only really been a handful of years at the very beginning and then just the last fifteen years the last thirteen years and so uh, but <laughs> in the last thirteen years have been pretty dang dominant yeah no that's super interesting I mean I personally I'm a Mercedes fan I in my home office I've got this you know twenty by thirty poster. Uh, frame picture on my wall of the 1954 uh, 300 SL, which was like the f- the first. Is that the original like Goldwing, like the Goldwing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was like the first considered the first supercar. Um, it had a innovative frame design that made it super light, which is like what SL stands for is like mm-hmm. super leaked. Oh, I, I really? Know, I don't speak German, but yeah. like super light is what SL stands for. And the reason it needed the Goldwing door is because of the way that the frame was built. You couldn't have a you know full hinge right. and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And then you know I you know have have owned AMGs and love them. Uh, I just I don't know why I haven't in Formula One like married myself as a fan to the team. I think it's because I love competition and just seeing them win every single time. I was like, okay, I'm ready for somebody new. Isn't it funny that Max winning all this year? People are like, this is so boring. It's yeah. so annoying. Yeah, even no. though we begged for somebody else to come Let, in. You, you talk about your kids. You know, getting to know the drivers. Last year, my daughter, who's now ten, started watching every race with me. And uh, she started getting into in, in some, like cheering for Max because she knew that Lewis always used to win. Right. So every time she see Max win, she get excited. So we made a big deal to like get ready to watch the last race in Abu Dhabi, and you know she's pulling for Max the entire race. And her, like <laughs> as every lap turns down, like her little heart's breaking more and more. And I'm like, oh honey, I just don't think it's gonna happen. I, I turned I'm it sorry. off. Sorry, so I turned it off. Oh, you did. Oh <laughs> yeah. my gosh. Well, I'm just as bad. I fell asleep. Oh, I fell asleep, and then I hear. Crofty's voice, you know, take another level up. Right. And I'm like, I open an eye and I'm like, and then I see Latifi in the wall and I'm like, huh, okay, what's going to happen but now? Then you're like, it's going to end under, <laughs> it's going to end under, uh, you know, safety yeah. car, whatever. But Who that cares? whole last lap, like my, me and my daughter were jumping up and down off the couch. Right. And it was like, it was just an awesome memory to make with my, you know, with my kid. I had to do it like in a lame way where <laughs> I had, I turned it off and I was done. But then I get pinged on all this stuff that's going on. And so then I go back and I tell my son, get in here. We got to watch how this thing ended. Uh So we like watched it, time shifted, knowing what the result was. It's a little bit lame, but watching how it happened. And and the thing was, I didn't tell him how it ended. So it was a surprise to him. him And uh, yeah, it's it's amazing how things can shift in in that fashion. But I think it's got to be because, I mean... Mercedes AMG has a massive history, and you've got yeah. a history of like thinking about what this car was, yeah. like as a as an autom as an automobile producer, like a, mm-hmm. a. But really, it's a new team. I mm-hmm. mean that that mm-hmm. is, that's a reality of it. 
Williams is like, dude, we've been in we've been in racing way longer than you guys. Yeah. And you, if you came into the sport new, you'd go, well, are you kidding me? Like this, mm-hmm. like podunk team out of uh, out of Great Britain. They're the ones with the with the bigger history. And the reality is, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, Mercedes certainly has had a historic run over the past decade. But before that, there's there's really not a ton of history when it comes to actual F1 racing, and so Mercedes is the uh, old, brand new team. You know, this yeah. is the this is the and and a force always to be reckoned with. I, I can't imagine uh, that things would ever change as long as Total Wolf is in is in charge, and as long as they're throwing the amount of money that board throws mm-hmm. at. Uh, it's important to them that they have their face at the front of the at the front of the grid uh, because it, it's big, it's huge for the brand. You know, and, and you hear Christian Horner always talking about it with uh, Red Bull. He goes, "We're just a drinks company, you know. Like we're just an energy, we're just a small energy drink company. We're just going out there, and, just, and you're like, dude, I am not buying any of this. Yeah, right. you guys have as much money to develop these cars as any of these other teams yeah. do, and uh, so it, it's pretty wild to think of some of the histories. Of this. So there's a little smallish, not even a deep dive, but just kind of a look into uh, what Mercedes has been historically on the uh, on the F1 grid. So there you go. What should we do next time? I mean, now I don't even know what to do because now we have uh, – we, we're just going to keep doing some more of these episodes. We'll dive in. Oh, there, I, there are lots – there's more teams and lots more about the car to definitely learn about. I also want to get to know some of these racers historically too, some of these guys yeah. who've, been, uh, who've, who've, who've been the face of, of the sport over so many years. I mean, there's – I think at one point I had to Google Sterling Moss and be like, everybody's talking about this guy. I should probably, <laughs> he's on all these Heineken commercials. I should probably <laughs> – uh, jump in and see why why this guy's important. All right. Dan, do you have fun this week? Oh, yeah. Oh, Great time. Are. Let's do it again next week, or let's do it again. Uh, we'll have to figure out when these things are going to drop here. As Dan preps for the Singapore Grand Prix, where he's going to be uh, in a couple of weeks, we will keep bringing you these historic episodes, get you a little bit uh, dialed up on the technical side of things as well. For Dan, I'm Alex. We'll talk to you next time, everybody. This has been Mode Push. Mode Push.